Let's get after it. Motown Rundown, Episode 3. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Rabinowitz. Third episode already. Wow, I'll tell you what, time flies when you're having fun. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining me as I take you through the, the journey that has its ups and downs for sure through the Motor City and all things Detroit sports. I appreciate the support so far, guys. I, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it is definitely humbling to see that people actually listen to the show. So that's great. I guess, it's, I, guess I can't quit now. So we'll keep rolling. Got a pretty, pretty stacked show here today. Got a lot of, lot of things to talk about, a lot of opinions to give. Uh, we'll kick off the show today talking about the, our beloved Detroit Pistons. And uh, I have yet to give my thoughts on the show regarding the new hire of the head coach, Dwayne Casey. So I'll get into that. I was actually at the introductory press conference for Coach Casey this previous week at Little Caesars Arena, so that was cool. I'll, I'll address some things as far as that's concerned. Obviously, the, the Pistons did not have a first-round pick in the NBA draft that just occurred recently, but we'll get into the, the two players they selected in the second round. And uh, moving on from that, we'll talk a little bit of Red Wings because the Red Wings had some some big moves in the draft. Ten picks. They were supposed to have 11 going in. They traded one away. Ten picks in this year's draft. I'll, I'll, I'll break down the, uh, the new recruits that will be playing with the winged wheel on their chest, if not this year, hopefully sometime soon. And uh, then we'll wrap up with some Tigers talk because... Boy, I'll tell you what, I love those Tigers. They just never quit. They never quit. They're fun fun to watch. So I, I really just want to get into more of on the on the side of the future, actually, with, with trading players and certain names coming up is now, you know, the trade deadline, while it is still a ways away, it's it's a conversation that needs to be had and that we will continue to have as the as the season goes on. So We'll touch on that. I want to backtrack a bit with the Tigers, too, and talk about how they faced uh, teams like the Angels, the Yankees, the Red Sox, these these teams that people were concerned about coming in as far as can, can the Tigers hold their own against better competition. So we'll have that conversation. Uh, no Lions today. Again, I know second week in a row. I apologize. But, I mean, come on. There's not much to talk about right now. But trust me, when that season gets going, we'll be, we'll be talking about them quite a bit. I also too just kind of want to want to tease a a future idea I have. If you follow me on Twitter, my personal account, hopefully we can work on a on a Motown rundown rundown Twitter account or something. I'll I'll, I'll try to pull some strings there. But if you follow me on my Twitter, that's at Ryan Rabinowitz four R A B I N O W I T Z. It's a it's a quite a mouthful for the last name, but Ryan Rabinowitz four on Twitter using the hashtag Motown rundown. If you ever want to ask questions or, or shoot out some topics you want to hear discussed on the show, feel free to tweet at me. But I did post a couple polls recently that were that I'm now teasing a, 
a future episode, a championship edition, if you will, of the Motown run. I, I really just, and I know that the, that the NBA and the NHL finals are, are well and over with now, but man, seeing Alex Ovechkin raise that Stanley Cup and the just the emotion and the, and the pure joy and happiness on his face, it made me hungry for a championship in the city. It did. I mean, I always am, of course. I you I don't want my our, the teams to lose here, but it it made me hungry for a championship. So I, off coming off the heels of that, it, it inspired me to look into the possibilities for the next championship in the city of Detroit. So I I definitely have a big show planned for that. Uh, we will we'll we'll get on that in the very near future. So again. If you want to participate in one of those polls, uh, the hashtag Motown Rundown, you can find those those Twitter polls. Get your opinions on on who the next team up is in Detroit to win. But we'll save that for a rainy day. Let's get into the Pistons. So if you have been living under a rock, or if you have if you have not heard the news yet that the the Pistons have signed uh, their new head coach Dwayne Casey to a five year deal. Again, I, I we haven't talked about it on the show, so I'll I'll backtrack a little bit and we'll, and we'll talk as far as my thoughts. Right off the bat, I I'm really not surprised with the signing. That that being said, it was purely a matter of I don't think the candidates were necessarily that strong. You, you hear John Beeline's name come up and some and some former players, whether it be in a coach's role or a GM role with Chauncey Billups and what have you. I think that that. Dwayne Casey was clearly the most proven best option on the table. And in five years to me, right off the bat, as far as the contract goes, is is definitely a big commitment for a head coach. I mean, because if it doesn't work out in the first couple of years and the team's still suffering, then you gotta fire the coach. And and it's just it's I, I think it was a lot to put on the table for for a coach in the position that the team is in right now. And honestly, I think that was probably the only way for the Pistons to get him to come to Detroit was to offer up a contract like they did with five years, whatever the money was, to have him come over in Detroit to a situation that obviously, if we talked about many times, is not a great situation. I don't want to say that I don't think Dwayne Casey wasn't their guy as far as who the Pistons really wanted, because clearly he is. He was hired and and as I'll talk about the press conference in a, in a little bit, uh, Tom Gora spoke very highly of Dwayne Casey. I just think that to a certain extent, as I as I said a bit earlier, it was almost like the best of a bad situation. And I don't think, again, I, I think Dwayne Casey is a fine coach. I'll, I'll break down his resume and my thoughts on that in just a second. But but I, I feel like, you know, a guy like Mark Fisdale came off the board early going to New York, and, and I'm, I'm sure that would have been a, a prime target for the Pistons to go after. But as far as Dwayne Casey's resume, I mean, look, he, he's 61 years old, which, I mean, whatever, it isn't a isn't a huge deal in itself. Uh, as far as the NBA goes, he, he was an assistant in Minnesota for, for a little bit. He was an assistant with the Dallas Mavericks. He actually won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And then I get his claim to fame as is, is being the head coach of the Raptors for the for the past couple of years and and for the first two years of, of his career there, winning twenty three and thirty four games respectively, and then kicked off their run of five years where they finished first and second, first or second in the Atlantic division. But then you look at his playoff resume because honestly, all I'm concerned about 
is 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 how you perform in the playoffs. And is one of my favorite quotes of all time from the movie Moneyball, a uh, uh, Brad Pitt who plays Billy Bean. And I will I will clean up the language a bit, but if you don't win the last game of the season, no one really cares. So his playoff resume to me isn't all that impressive. I mean, he missed the playoffs twice in Toronto, two first round exits, two conference semifinals exits, and then the sweep this year uh, to to Cleveland. And then he also has a, a conference finals loss. So I, I don't want to get, I really don't want to get too critical because I think that he is definitely a proven coach. I think that the, he is well liked by a lot of players. He has a great basketball IQ and his defensive systems and rotations are really what have helped make him have him make a name for himself. He's been very, very highly praised for the way he coached the game defensively. And I mean, granted, it, it probably helped having guys like DeRozan and, and Lowry to to kind of carry that team in Toronto. But he really shaped that team in, into being one of the premier teams in the East. Granted, again, he didn't have a great playoff resume, but and Toronto is a solid team. I, I wouldn't have wanted to run into Toronto in the playoffs, and unfortunately, they they caught uh, King James came over and and made it LeBron toe. But uh, it is it is what it is. I, I think that I don't want to get too critical of it. He obviously was named the uh, National Basketball Coaches Association Coach of the Year by by other coaches, the, the, by his fellow coaches in the league, shortly after being fired from Toronto, which is a move that I understand at the same time I don't. I mean, I think that things were fine in Toronto. I, I really do think that that team is a ticking time bomb as far as when that, you know, if DeRozan leaves or Lowry leaves and, and that team, I think, shortly might, might not be on, on top of the throne in the East as they have been. But the bottom line is, I, I I don't think this is the guy of the future. I don't think that that the Pistons win a championship with Dwayne Casey. And now maybe that's a comment more of to the team and the structure of the actual players on the team. But I, I think that he'll be able to keep the Pistons relevant and in the playoffs for a couple years while the Pistons have to deal with and work through the contracts and the lack of flexibility and, and all of that stuff. And it, it's like beating a dead horse. And, and I don't, I don't, I just wouldn't expect a whole lot for these, for these coming years. I, I hope that in his tenure here, he can coach up some of the young guys. He's a great coach to develop talent. I think he'll get along with guys like Stanley Johnson really well. I know it just kind of came out that, that Luke Kennard and his family didn't really like the way Stan Van Gundy managed him, but I think that that when his tenure is up, I hope the team just has a better direction, and I obviously wish nothing but success for Dwayne Casey. I just don't see, and maybe it is more a comment to the roster, that I don't see this team doing much. And and as we'll get to very shortly, and Dwayne Casey and Tom Gores both felt like this was a team. This is the the team, the current team right now with their roster is a team that can win. And I don't know if the goal is to just make the playoffs because honestly as I if I've said time and time again I'm not interested in in grabbing a 6 through 8 seed or maybe one year they grab a 5 seed and maybe one year they get to the second round I'm not interested the way the landscape is especially in the east and the east is just getting stronger with Philly's now coming into their own Toronto will still have a couple of years I think of being of being a, a, a name to worry about in the east Boston's obviously great. If LeBron stays in Cleveland, they're always a contender. Milwaukee's getting better year after year. Even Charlotte's starting to make some moves. Drafting Miles Bridges 
for for Sparty Nation there. But the goal should not be to just make the playoffs and stay relevant. And that's where I kind of get critical of Tom Gorris, and I feel like that's where it kind of comes down to him being a bit hands-off to where he's just satisfied with, oh, if we're in the playoffs, we're in the playoffs, and we'll sell more tickets to get people in the seats for four games because we'll probably get swept in a in a playoff series if they, if they get a low seed and – and that's that's just it. I'm not interested in any of that. But and then you still there's still no GM. There's still no president of basketball operations. I know Ed Stefanski seems like the way Tom Gorris made it sound like in the press conference was that he's just going to be the guy running the show. They don't care about his title, whatever. But that's a that's a whole separate thing in itself, obviously. But, but I want to get into the press conference now. As I said, I was actually at the press conference. Uh, I, I I my big boy job is working with Olympia Entertainment at Little Caesars Arena. So I actually got to do some behind-the-scenes stuff for the press conference, which was awesome. But I, I, I sat in attendance, and I and I listened. And, and, and some of the key takeaways for me, I think the big theme that was coming out of the press conference was that between Ed Stefanski, Tom Gorris, and, and Dwayne Casey, who all, all three spoke at the press conference, they believed that this – that this roster and the team they have right now can win now. They don't think they have to make any changes, and and they talked a lot about the young guys like Henry Allenson, Luke Kennard, Stanley Johnson, and they really believe that those are three key pieces that, through development and, and, and given some time, will be able to contribute and will be big names for this team. And obviously, uh, Dwayne Casey talked a lot about he had very high praise for for Stanley Johnson and, and Blake Griffin and 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 to me i think that that going forward i'm not sure if if, if this roster can can get it done and that's where maybe i don't see eye to eye with other people and i think that i'm not alone in my opinion but when you're looking at longevity you have a contract like Blake Griffin who Blake Griffin's not getting any younger hopefully he stays healthy but you have to deal with that contract. And then Andre Drummond, because eventually he'll become a free agent. He's going to want to get paid if he continues to play at, a, at at least a semi-decent level. And then you have to deal with Reggie Jackson. And obviously this year, not being able to get a premier player in the draft, I'm not sure if I subscribe to the fact that this is the Pistons team that can get it done. I, I, I really don't know. If anything, if I, if I want to play devil's advocate here, I do really believe that Dwayne Casey – if there's one guy as far as who is available to coach this team, if there's one guy that can take the roster right now and, and work with it, I think it is Dwayne Casey. He's, he's a veteran coach. He, I think he relates really well to the players. And he'll be able to hopefully develop guys like Ellenson and Kennard and, and Stanley Johnson, who in my eyes and, and, and given these guys have not been in the league very long at all, have really not developed. And I'm not sure how I feel about how Stan Van Gundy last year would bounce around Ellenson and Kennard. They would spend some time in the G League, and they would come back up, and they wouldn't get minutes. And and it's with a guy, especially like Stanley Johnson, who was drafted so high, who I think he has a pretty solid defensive game. He's got a great build to play in the NBA. His shooting is atrocious, which if I'm Dwayne Casey, I lock him. In, I lock Stanley Johnson in the gym for 10 straight hours and tell him to, to figure it out. But... If if you're really confident in this team and what it has to offer, then your first your first priority has to be with developing the young talent and and Johnson and Kennard and and Allenson. I, I want to play a, a quick 
clip here. Um, this is courtesy of Detroit Sports Media, who was also at the press conference. And, and this is just Tom Gore's in response to being asked about the roster and asked about the lack of flexibility and, and what he thinks as far as what they can do with the roster. So I want to play this clip for you guys real quick, and, 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 and we'll reconvene. I mean, whatever player we get, that would be great. But we don't need another one. But we're good. We, that's why Dwayne's here. We like this team. He likes the young players. Like, Dwayne's great at player development. It's not just, again, like his accolades and all that stuff. Like he, he knows how to develop young players to be great players. Okay, so a couple things I took away from that from from Tom Gorison, it was just that the the line about we're good, and he's talking about the draft and you know we don't need another player. I don't know I I don't know what mindset that is. You you always need players to make your team better. I mean, I I it'd be hard pressed for me to find a a team that has never made a free agent move in the in the offseason or has never made some kind of structural change to the team. I mean, all teams make moves. You need players. You draft players. You get in. You get new talent in. So I don't know where that comes from, but if if that's the mindset, if Tom Gores really believes that this is the team to get it done, then 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 show me something. I'm not going to com- completely sit out and pout and be like, oh, this, is, this team stinks. They're not going to get anything done, whatever. I, I don't. I really truly do not believe that this is a team that is gonna be is gonna suffer for a couple more years. I think that that things will get better, but uh, I just wanted to share that that piece of what of what Tom Gores had to say as far as what what he felt with the team, and that and now quickly before before we wrap up with our with our Pistons talk, we can talk about the uh, the two players that the Pistons snagged in the draft, Kyrie Thomas coming over from Creighton. Uh, a six-three shooting guard. He can play. He can play the three as well. Uh, he came over in a trade from Philly. The Pistons shipped over two future second rounders, which I could care less about. I really second round picks in the NBA. I mean, don't don't mean a whole lot. Um, I think Kyrie Thomas. My thing with him is he's just a great shooter. I think he's a forty percent from three point from three point range in in college is is pretty impressive. Average fifteen point one points per game his junior year. Uh, and he's just he, someone who's who's really improved as the years have gone on. He's gotten more time at Creighton, a lot more minutes, and in his shooting percentages, and, and his and especially his, his turnovers too. His, his turnover rate is is has decreased as as he's gone on and, and played more minutes, and and with the shooting percentage going up as well. Obviously, t- two big pluses. Um, and then the second player that was taken at pick number forty-two was Bruce Brown Jr. A sophomore out of Miami. He's also a shooting guard. He can play the three. He's a little bit bigger at six foot five. He was injured partway through the year this past season, which is why he kind of had a a bit of a slide stats, not only stats wise, obviously from not being able to to get in games, but also as far as the draft board goes. Uh, I he eleven eleven points per game roughly as far as his his seasons is or his sophomore season at Miami and is for a career too. 11.7 points per game. Both of these guys were were really mid to late late first round talents. I I think that I don't want to call these guys steals because I don't want to insinuate that these are guys that are going to come in and 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 make waves and and have the this beautiful impact, but I think that for for the position that the Pistons were in, I think these are two guys that can shake up the front court 
And it, it definitely brings them closer to success. It, it, it'll give them some, some more depth and, and guys that can come in. And hopefully a guy like Kyrie Thomas, as I mentioned, is a pretty darn good uh, uh, three-point shooter that he can come in and, and, and do some damage and, and, and make some shots. I don't know if these are guys that will play double-digit minute per games right away. I wouldn't think so. I'm curious to see how Dwayne Casey runs his rotation. But, um, again, just before we wrap up the Pistons, Casey and Ingors both, as I mentioned, they talked about this is the team that they think will be able to win and go deep in the playoffs and and do whatever they need to do. So I, there's a lot of work to be done still. I'm not going to tap out on the Pistons just yet. I think it's it's fair to give Dwayne Casey a chance. But but that's, that's all I have today on the Pistons talk. And now piggybacking off the NBA draft, we can talk about the NHL draft real quickly. Uh, not a ton that I want to get into. Just want to discuss the moves that were made, and and I really, really like this draft for the Red Wings. I mean, getting Philip Zadina at six is just an absolute steal because Zadina coming into the draft was projected at going third overall, and I think as the as the draft got closer, I know I mentioned in the previous episode that that Jesperi Kokanimi was was a name that the the Red Wings were targeting probably the most skilled centerman in the draft, in in my opinion. And the Red Wings were looking to either trade up or trade down, depending on where Kokanimi's stock was. And as the draft got closer, Montreal was all over Kokanimi. They made it very clear that that was the guy that they were going to take. And so at number three, he went off the board, leaving Zadina there, and he passed on it through four and five. And it was funny, Zadina in the media also said to his agent that, that – that uh, he better tell Montreal if they pass on on Zadina at three, he, whatever team he goes to, he'll be putting pucks in Montreal's net for years to come. So I, I love that attitude. And Zadina falls to six somehow. I really I'm very surprised because this is an uh, he's a sniper. He's a got a great hockey IQ, and I know that there were some people that were probably a bit upset with the fact that the Wings didn't go with the defenseman at number six, and Quinn Hughes from Michigan, the, the defenseman from Michigan, ended up going next at number seven to Vancouver, and which was surprising to me because I thought a guy like Bouchard or Boquist would, would, would go before that. But but I, when, when a guy like Zadina falls to six, it's a no-brainer to take him. You have to take the best player available, especially when that player is Philip Zadina, who was in the conversation of being the second or third overall pick. He he's someone who, quite honestly, I could see playing right away for the Wings. And if they bring up Michael Rasmussen to to start the season in Detroit, and you have Zadina, and you you can pair him up with guys like Larkin and Mantha, and and and, and the young talent that's really starting to come into their own in Detroit, that could be that could be very fun to watch for years to come. And then they get Joe Valeno at thirty, who who is a is a centerman, and and this kid is. How he fell to 30 is absolutely beyond me. I mean, he's got great, great speed, great playmaking ability at the center position. And that's a guy, too, who if if you can pair with like a Mantha or a Larkin or whoever they want to, however they want to shake up lines, he'll be fun to watch, too. And then they take the third forward in a row with Jonathan Burgeon from Sweden. Of course, what's, what's a Red Wings draft without taking a Swede? But he goes at 33 to the Wings. And that's where people started to get kind of antsy, where it's like, why, why are, why are defensemen not being taken? But in the grand scheme of things, the Wings ended up having ten picks, 
in the first demon they took was Jared McIsaac, five foot ten, just shy of two hundred pounds. The story on him is that he he moves the puck really well and he's a great skater. And that's something that the Wings have been missing. And I think that they really were looking for in a guy like Danny DeKaiser, who hasn't really worked out that way as a defenseman who can move the puck up the ice, create breakout passes, can can have some kind of an offensive presence with with great skating ability. And they get that in McIsaac. And but I, I'm just not sure if, if that's a guy that can come in right away and, and, and make an impact, which is why a guy like Philip Hronick or or you're hoping Danny DeKaiser can can pan out and, and, and fill that role until they continue to, to develop the defensive core because they out of their 10 picks, they took five forwards, three D, and they took two goalies, which I, I'm fine with taking. I mean, one goalie would have been fine for me, but understandably Jimmy Howard's contract is expiring. He's getting older. Coro is, but Coro was pretty shaky towards the end of the year as far as the time he got in that. So, so bringing in goalies like that, it's a necessity. It it has to happen at some point, but there's still questions on D and and you need a guy, like I said, to, to fill that role of, of uh, someone who can move the puck up ice and create plays because the, the defense, the defensive core in Detroit is, is just that. It is a defensive core. There's not a lot of offensive production there. And so I don't know if the Wings are looking to target a free agent, which would just be typical Red Wings, the overpay for an older defenseman that is not going to be part of the rebuilding process. But but that's what the Wings did in the draft. I was happy with it. I really, that's a it's a B plus, A minus effort for me when it comes to the draft as far as getting three, really the first three forwards, they took three solid forwards that I think we will all see in a Red Wings uniform very soon. If not, Zadina could could realistically play as early as this year. But but the the Wings development camp will be happening this week. I will try to catch some of that action, and and we will discuss that as, as people who Im- impressed me and whatnot. But now I want to move into our our final topic of the day, and that is the Detroit Tigers. And I I like I said I love talking about this team. I love watching this team. I think it's it's so entertaining because the expectations aren't necessarily high. And so it's just a matter of, you know, are they gonna are the Tigers gonna surprise us today or what do they have in store? And and seeing guys like Nico Goodrum and Jacoby Jones and guys like Matthew Boyd and these young guys that are just developing and working and seeing them have success is is really a, a pleasure to watch. And so the way I wanna kick off Tigers is because again, we can. I'll backtrack a little bit because I I didn't get a chance to give my thoughts and opinions on it as far as how the Wings handled these stronger teams that they played recently. And that goes back to uh, the Los Angeles Angels when they came in on Memorial Day that I was in attendance for, just sweating like you would not believe in the Memorial Day heat. Uh, the nine three win, James McCann grand slam that lands right in front of me in the seats. I don't know if anyone saw me on TV, but of course they get they got beat up the next night. But they they take three out of four of the from the Angels, and they're they are no slouch of a of a team, and they're in a tough tough AL West division that they're that they're still really I mean they competing extremely well. And then the next series they take two or three from the Blue Jays as expected. The Yankees come to town. For two games, and this is where I started to get nervous. I I was like, okay, are are they gonna go out there and get killed for two games? 
What's the deal? Can they compete? And they they split the doubleheader. The Tigers pitching staff made Aaron Judge look stupid, just stupid. 0 for 8, 8 strikeouts, which is some kind of record, most strikeouts in a, in a doubleheader. So that that was that was obviously fun to watch. Miggy comes back in that stretch. And then when you look at the game that, that they dropped to the Yankees, I mean, you have to keep in mind that Drew Verhagen started the game and, and got absolutely lit up. He went 3 and 2 thirds with 7 earned runs. And then I actually enjoyed seeing Sandy Baez comes in with, and he pitched four and a third with no hits, four strikeouts. That's a name that 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 people can start to look to see more often because he's he's someone that the, the Tigers have been working with in the in the AAA in in Toledo and and I I really hope that Sandy Baez continues to get time throughout the year because that's an arm that looks like it's going to be very promising in the future. Um, the 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 game they did take from the Yankees, the four two win. Real solid end of the game. Jimenez and Green, they're they're a treat to watch, although I'm not sure that Shane Green will be here past the trade deadline. But the bottom line is in that series, they just showed everyone that they can compete and that they carried that into the Boston series and and going in another series that really scared me. But they, they kick off the, the series with a, with a 6 nothing loss on, on that Tuesday. But, like again, Artie Lewicki on the mound, and and that's it's similar to the Drew Verhagen situation where it's like I I can't really get too bent out of shape because a guy like Lewicki who really has not had much time at all at the major league level, let alone being in a starting starting role, I can't get too upset about him getting beat up a little bit. And and sure, it's frustrating because I feel like there's better pitchers out there that the Tigers could be using other than an Artie Lewicki as a plug for. To, to, to save arms. And I know that Ron Gardenhire has said he's moving to that six man rotation to protect Jordan Zimmerman. But Lewicki gets shelled. And then the next night on, on Wednesday, seven to one loss. But it, Blaine Hardy, again, and I think Blaine Hardy has pitched pretty well in that in that starting role. I've never been too high on Blaine Hardy. I really also don't think that he is someone that the Tigers should try to force into a starting role for the foreseeable future. I, I, I don't think that he, that's what his what his attributes will allow for. I think if you can develop in the bullpen, it'd be great. It'd be a big help. But, yeah, 7-1, Blaine Hardy. I, I'm not going to get too bad out of shape. And then Thursday, they look great. 7-2 win, 10 hits. Matt Boyd had a strong outing. And it's it's nice to at least, at least take one out of three. I, I feel like at this point, it's really all you can ask for. I, I, I don't want to see this team get swept. I don't want to see them get embarrassed, and I don't think they've done that. And then the not the current Cleveland series that they're in, but the, the, the Cleveland series prior to the series they're currently playing in, they take one out of three from the Indians. It could have been two out of three, but Green lit up a three-run shot in the top of the ninth. The Kipnis, uh, Trevor Bauer was lights out with 12 strikeouts that night, so there wasn't much he could do. Uh, and then even even Michael Fulmer went went had a strong seven innings with seven strikeouts, and that was very promising to see because finally he was able to to handle seeing the Cleveland batting order for the third time around. He's really struggled. Once you get late into games, I mean, he has not been great, and it, it, it stinks that he couldn't get a win. And I, I really feel like that happens with the Tigers a ton with with the lack of the lack of run support or blowing games late from the bullpen, not not being able to get starting pitchers a, a win that I think Fulmer deserved. But then again, like I said, Trevor Bauer with 12 strikeouts that night, he, he was he was awesome. Then Saturday against against Cleveland, great win. Again, another example of the, the Tigers producing 
late in the games against, especially against the the Indians bullpen, who hasn't been great. But the walk off from from Jamer in extra innings, Fires was great. Only one earned run that night, and that's that's the stuff that I that I like to see. Like I I, I love this about that about the team that they do not quit late in games. You can be down uh, seven to two. 8 to 5 whatever it is and the tigers continue to fight they'll put may they may not win every time and that the, the rally goose isn't working but they put up a fight and and that's and that's what I like to see and that's the bottom line of why I brought up this the competition because the tigers are making it so hard on people to accept the fact that this team can compete and 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 I love the fact that you know granted they you know they just beat up on the twins and they just beat up on the white Sox and 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 that's expected. I think that where I would really start to have a problem is if, if you see the Tigers losing games like that to the White Sox and dropping the two games of the Reds did not sit well with me. But because that's that's two games that should have been easy wins because the Reds stink. But the fact that the Tigers can compete and that they're willing to to bring intensity to the ballpark and play with teams like Boston and New York and and in LA, it's 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 awesome. And and, and now they they kind of stay in the division for a bit, and like I said, they just beat up on the Twins and the White Sox, and they're they're in a battle with the with the Indians now. And I'll tell you what, I I hate playing the Indians. I I I want those wins so bad against the Indians, and and, and really, a Cleveland Indians team who has not been great this year by any means. The bullpen has really let that team down. Um, Lindor obviously carries the bulk of that team with Ramirez, but other than that, no one on that team really scares me. To be honest, I mean, they have Corey Kluber, who you know what you're getting with him on the mound. Trevor Bowers, you know, he's had a pretty decent year. Mike Clevenger, the same way. But this is a division that, that the Tigers can win, in, in all honesty. I'm not, I don't think I'm being crazy by saying that. Uh, the, the Tigers will see, you know, the Astros, the Yankees again eventually. They get Texas, Toronto, Oakland, who the the back end of the the teams I named those are very beatable teams. I mean Texas, Toronto, Oakland. If 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 the Tigers can go, I mean you know pretty well above five hundred with with those teams, they're staying in the race. And and uh, obviously after the trade deadline and in in the All Star break and things like that, you can kind of get a better feel of what this team will do. But the one thing that that I don't necessarily subscribe to that that I've heard a lot of is. They're not doing the rebuild the right way. They're not tanking the right way. They shouldn't be focused on winning. It should be about and as I I might have mentioned this last week, I never have understood the whole tanking thing. I don't know if if people think you should go out there and purposely try to lose because I don't know how you do that in sports. But as as far as not doing it the right way, listen, I mean. This team is not going to win a World Series this year. They're they're just not. I, I'm always very optimistic with the Tigers, especially, but they're not winning a World Series. They're not good enough. I don't think anyone th- expects them to. But for people that like don't want them to win the division or don't want them to grab a wild card, why why not? Why why would you not want to have this young team build some confidence in, in after everyone that didn't even give them a chance, not a chance to start the year. Why? What? What is wrong with having this team take a wild card spot or or win the AL Comedy Central for 
and make an make an impact. Show the league like they're here to play. And it'd be great for the young guys to get experience and like I said, build confidence. And I guess the only thing that is can raise eyebrows to people is okay, if that's the mindset, if that's the mindset, let's go make the playoffs, let's let's go deep into the playoffs, whatever or however deep they can make it. I think what's scaring people is the fact that they think that the Tigers will all of a sudden become buyers at the deadline if they're in contention to win the Central. I don't necessarily buy that. And if that's the case, I would be a bit disappointed if all of a sudden the Tigers start trying to buy at the deadline. I would I would bet a, a large sum of money that that's, that's not the case. I think that no matter what the position is of them going in to the trade deadline, they will sell. But But my point being is that no matter who you sell, if it's if it's Iglesias, if it's Boyd, if it's Castellanos, if it's Fulmer, no matter who you sell and the return that you get most likely will be younger guys that will take some time to develop in the farm system. The team can still go out there and win games. It's again, I've said it a, a million times. Baseball is just funny like that. I mean, guys, you know, pitchers come in that the batters haven't seen, then they they pitch extremely well. They strike guys out. Bats get hot and they can compete, and it's not like you have to be an unbelievably skilled team like you do in basketball to even have a prayer of of advancing. Or in, in hockey, is like very similar in that sense. But I want to get into talking about trades and the future of this team, and this is a topic that that we will revisit multiple times leading up to the trade deadline. And the question really is, who do you move? And as I just mentioned, some names with Iglesias, Boyd, Castellanos, Fulmer, even even Shane Green, it begs the question of, of who out of the young guys, so that would include probably more of your Castellanos, Fulmer. Sure, I'd throw Boyd in there, even though he's 27 years old. What what guys do you want to keep for the future? I think a guy like Condelario has been made very clear that he will be here for a, for a, for a pretty long time. But Castellanos is the wild card to me because – up until recently, he was batting 320. He's dropped down to now around 300. I think his value is as high as it's going to get. His bat has been has been pretty consistent over the years, but it's been really good the last two, three years, especially this year. And having a bat like that in the lineup for a team that isn't necessarily a, a tremendous hitting team is just a, is such a luxury to have. My thing is that, I almost want to give him. I, I don't want to say give him time because I'm my 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 patience is running thin with Nick Castellanos, but I'm curious to see what the Tigers' plan is for him because Al Avila has really been hesitant to come out and say, "Oh yeah, Nick's a guy that we want to sign long term." Because I think he knows better than than to say that because you could definitely get some great trade value for Nick Castellanos, but seeing Nick Castellanos play in right field every day. I get it. I, I you know, I, I like Nick a lot. I think that sometimes he he kinda is such a low key, like very internally intense person, I think, but he doesn't show a lot of emotion. And so that kind of frustrates me at times because he almost gives out the vibe that like he doesn't care. But I know he does. He said multiple times that he wants to stay in Detroit. But it's just it's interesting. To, to see the way they use him in right field because he's, he's simply, and I don't care what the statistics say because statistics can only take you so far. I don't care about his 
his putouts or outfields assists. Or statistically, he doesn't make a lot of errors. He's just like a. I don't care if you watch baseball like I do, and if you're a fan of the game and you watch the way that Nick Castellanos treats the right field position, he's lost. He's not an outfielder. He's not slow by any means, but he's not fast like like guys like Mike Trout can be in the outfield or, or Bryce Harper, guys that fly around in the outfield, got Mookie Betts, guys like that. He does not field the position well. His He does not take good routes to the ball. And then, I mean, I get it. It happens. It's baseball. But at the same time, there's no excuse. Nick Castellanos, if you watched the, the, the game against the Reds when Joey Votto had a grand slam to really put the, put the Tigers to sleep very early in the game, going to field a routine fly ball to right field. Granted, it was hit deeply, and it was probably right on the edge of the warning track. And then... And then he puts his glove up and it hits right off his glove and, and goes over the wall. I, it just, it's not, a, there's no excuse for that at the professional level. I'm sorry. Like, it, it just, it, it's things like that that really irritate me. And, and if it were me managing the team, especially now that Miggy's hurt, which I want to talk about briefly too, give Nick a shot at first base. I mean, he played third base for a, for a, for a good portion of his career so far. He has, he's, he's an athletic dude. I just think his defense, just lacks, and I, I think if you give him a try at first base to where he doesn't have to cover as much ground, and and he really could become a great fielding first baseman if he can get it down, or if not, if you want to keep Miggy at first and play him every day when he comes back next season, then maybe D.H. Castellanos, because Victor's gone after this year, so, so D.H. Castellanos, let the dude hit. I, I'm sure he wants to play in the field, but he's just... He he hasn't developed into a everyday fielder that I'm that I'm comfortable with, and so that's I'm curious with that. I I I don't know. I really can't tell you right now definitively. Maybe that's a that's a bad answer to give. I can't tell you my feelings right now on whether or not I think that they should trade Castellanos. I think that his as I said his value is as high as it's ever been, and I don't think if you trade a guy like Castellanos, obviously you you lose a very likable guy, you lose a clubhouse guy, you lose a a very strong bat at still a young age. But I'm not going to miss the fielding. I'm really not. But to to move on to some of the other guys, Iglesias, I I think that well, I'm not too keen on getting rid of him cuz I I think he is a great player. I I I think defensively he is outstanding, but I've not been too happy with him as far as how he's his attitude towards the team and and in the way the direction of the team. I, I I think he could have he could handle the situation a bit better and be more of a leader. So if if he goes, he goes. Honestly, the only guy that I I, I want to keep, I really definitively that you you cannot sell me on is Michael Fulmer, and I get it. hasn't had a great year by any means. He's three and six, four seventeen ERA. I understand. It, it just for me, I just think it's kind of a like a sophomore slump thing, if you will. Even though obviously it's not a sophomore season, but he's just going through a rough patch in his career, and, and and that happens to people. But the point being is that you you give up the assets that you do to go get a guy like Fulmer, and his first two years were awesome, I and mean, his rookie season was obviously impeccable, but. To, to give up on a guy and, and just ship him because he's got value, which obviously his, his drafts or his, his trade stock, his trade value has really been hurt a lot this year. So I don't think you can get the return on Fulmer that you could have gotten maybe last year. But 
what are you going to do? Trade away Fulmer and then you bring in two, three more young arms? The, the, the Tigers organization is chock full of, of young arms that, that appear to be promising. So I, I don't necessarily buy into like, let's get rid of Fulmer and bring in some new young pitchers. And if they, if there's position players they can get that will help the team, then I guess that's a, that's a case for your, for your argument. But I, I, I don't think there's a reason to do it because it's just going to be this vicious cycle of bringing in prospects and then giving them a couple of years and then trade him again. Fulmer is a, he's a young guy. He, he, there's no reason to, to let him go. I, you can't sell me on that. A guy like Matt Boyd, on the other hand, I think there's 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 a kind of a split camp. I'm probably in the camp. I really have not been impressed with Matthew Boyd. I'm sorry. I I he's four and five with a three six three RA. He's also 27 years old. So like it, it's not like he's 23, 24, 25. He's 27. He'll turn 28. And if you can get value for him. I'm completely fine with with letting Boyd go. My patience is really run run thin with him because he was the guy that was supposed to come in this year and I don't want to say dominate, but at least put together some kind of you know performance where he's not four and five or how about a little bit lower of an ERA and then Daniel Norris, who has just been so unfortunate that he can't stay healthy. That's a guy too who my my patience is running very thin. And granted, he's hurt and no one's going to take him off off the Tigers' hands right now. But between Boyd and Norris, there are too many guys in the Tigers organization that are sitting in double-A, triple-A, even single-A that are going to be ready to come up and pitch soon. And I would rather, heck, throw a, throw a Casey Mize in the, in the rotation and get him some work late in the season to get a taste of the major league level and develop him as, and, and let him pitch. Or guys like Alex Fiedo, like all, all these guys that are just sitting in the Tigers organization – I'd rather have them a go, give them a go than let Boyd and Norris just be mediocre. I, I like I like Daniel Norris a lot more than I like Matthew Boyd, in all honesty. I think he's got a better presence on the mound. And but it, it's just a matter of you have to de- decide what guys are you gonna build around. And I think Fulmer has to be one of those guys. Castellanos could be. Guys like Matt Boyd, Daniel Norris, I, I don't know if if I would Miss them terribly if they were to get shipped away. A guy like Iglesias, like I said, he'll probably go. Even a guy like Shane Green, who I'm fine with Shane Green going if they can get good return on him because you can throw Joe Jimenez in that closer spot. So that's a conversation that we'll have ongoing until the trade deadline passes. Briefly, I, before we wrap it up, I want to touch on on Miguel Cabrera because obviously losing him to injury for the rest of the year is tough. And, and Miggy is a... <laughs> it's a it's an interesting case because things come out in the media about he doesn't want to be here, he wants to go here, he wants to go there, whatever, he doesn't like it here, whatever, he wants out. I try not to read too much into it. I think Miggy has his own problems off the field, but I, I really do believe that he enjoys the, the fans in Detroit. As much as as much as he says, you know, oh, they're too hard on me, whatever. You've seen, you know, the, the classic Miggy videos of him you know, talking to kids in the stands and, and and stuff like that. He he loves to play the game of baseball. He's like a big kid out there, and I admire it. But losing Miggy really hurts because he is obviously a key piece to where if this team wants to keep going and if you if you want this team to make a push to win the Central, Miggy has to be a part of that. And I think that the team has, with Miggy being out in the past, the team has really responded well 
to not having Miggy in the lineup. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they continue to respond. Obviously, John Hicks getting a majority of the time at first base now. And if this team can win without Miggy, I think that's going to make a lot of people more confident in that if the Tigers somehow could eat some salary and get and trade Miggy, they could be okay with that. And obviously, Miggy's a great player. I'm I'm still not really sold on on, on trading a guy like Miggy. I don't think it's it's really possible, honestly, with the contract. And I also think that he's still he just he has not been healthy in recent years. He just hasn't. Last year he played hurt. This year he was playing hurt, and he said he's not doing it anymore. I want to see a healthy Miguel Cabrera get another crack at a at a at a hundred and you know forty some fifty some game season and see what he can do before before completely just letting the ship sail. And I think eventually I, I'm not necessarily sold on the fact that oh there you can't trade Miggy the contract's terrible. You can all look at look at the Blake Griffin trade with the Pistons. I mean, people are always willing to be stupid and take a big contract, but it obviously, like I said, it it it's definitely tough to lose Miggy solely for the purpose of you know being someone in the clubhouse that can that can keep the team together and be and be a presence on the field and 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 put together some great at bats and and help the team win, but. I mean, if anything, it it could almost be a blessing in disguise because now this is the team that you get to see now the young the young guys that are going to get to take over and play and and I, I I'm really excited to see where this team can go and I, and obviously the Tigers are the only team in season right now. Uh, the Red Wings will will go quiet now the draft is over. The Pistons will go quiet once the draft is over. I don't really pay attention to a lot of the, the NBA summer league stuff, but Lions season will start working in. Tiger season will keep going, and and I am looking forward to getting into it. So that's going to be all for this episode of the Motown Rundown. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, again, I'm having a blast with this show, and I, I'm looking forward to, to continuing to to bring you all things Detroit sports here on the Motown Rundown. Again, I'm Ryan Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>